Guess who finally made a little progress in the basement? I've been avoiding recording any part of any episode down here because there really wasn't much to show up until now. Um, but recently I've made headway on a big project that I was putting off, which was to build the shelf towers that will go above the countertop, the entertainment center and desk space. Um, and it's so close to being done and it's very exciting. Uh, plus I'm working on the trim over the windows and it's just, I can see it, I can see it all happening. So this week I wanted to have a conversation about interventions because it's something my family and I actually never even talked about doing um, with my sister, but later I just thought it might be something that we could have done or should have done, I don't know. And I wondered what goes into them? How do they work? Do they work? And I met this really great therapist who works for Sanford House in Grand Rapids, and they typically work with people who have addictions. Um, but uh, the conversation ended up taking um, an unexpected and really interesting turn. You're just Steph, right? Yep. Just Steph Condon. Mm -hmm. And it, what is your role in um, mental health and helping people with addiction? Well, I've been a therapist for 32 years, and um, so I see I work with individuals, but I also work with people that don't have addictions, like a real broad spectrum of folks. Um, historically, I worked in long-term treatment settings, so the focus was largely on addressing people's minimization, their denial, how their um, disease had gained control and helping them to accept that, but also helping them look at other underlying issues, things that had bothered them for years that they hadn't been talking about or working through. It's interesting because one of the things I wondered about interventions, which is what I want to talk about today, um, was what what is appropriate for an intervention or what would call for an intervention. I think most people think of them as being for addictions um, to drugs or alcohol. Um, but I wondered too, because mental illness and addiction um, often are part of what fuels the other, they go hand in hand, if, if it is just about the addiction or if it's also about how someone's mental illness and that disease is, is changing their relationships with people. What, what have you seen interventions being most beneficial for? Well, classically, I've, I've used them to intervene on uh, substance use as well as eating disorder um, and really seeing um, that the substance needs to be addressed and then we get to see what's under it. Let's say there's a co-occurring also depression or anxiety, but substance makes people depressed. It, you know, alcohol is a depressant or um, cocaine is going to, you know, jack you up and really getting away from the substance helps clarify, you know, what's really, really there as, as a baseline. So, but I think um, intervention in terms of getting somebody help based on, you know, progression of concern really can be used for lots of different situations. It doesn't have to be an addiction. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in, in getting help and in seeking support groups, any of that um, 
can be a daunting thing for anybody, not just for the person who needs the help for their own addiction or, or illness, um, or their other illness, but for family members. Um, and that's something that my family and I experienced with my sister. It's, uh, it's something, you know you should do this, but <laughs> taking that step is a big deal or feels like a big deal. So when it comes to interventions, um, how, do they, how do they work? Do they work? Have you seen them really be successful? So folks usually, usually call me when they have had um, an increased amount of concern as well as desperation, as well as a sense that if I don't do something, something bad's going to happen and I'm going to feel guilty. I think the other piece that gets involved particularly with substance is that other people see some of what's going on and so they, they start feeling responsible. If I love them more, if I did this, if I helped them out here, then they wouldn't have to use. If I, you know, and it becomes the burden of responsibility actually gets transferred to people that love them. And, that, and I think that that's a real painful, um, just a, a painful thing that happens for, for families, for friends. Well, I thought, you know, you didn't trust me and that's why you didn't tell me. Or, you know, I thought if I helped you out with this, it wouldn't happen again. And, and so that, that sense in our culture that love will address anything gets manipulated with addiction. And so people call in terms of intervention when they're really at a desperate point. Everything they've tried, they've, they've talked to them individually, they've left notes, they've, I love you, they've gotten mad, they've gotten compassionate and it's like they're desperate and so there's that amb ambivalence of well this isn't going to work and I can't even believe we're trying this along with oh my god if we don't do something something bad's going to happen and so I I really see intervention um, I often talk about it in terms of freeing the hostages and in that scenario the person who's addicted is a hostage to the to the disease, but people that love them are also hostages because you carry the fear and the anxiety and the anger and the guilt. You know, if I love them, I should be able to impact this. And it, it's just, I think it's something that's really cruel about addiction is it manipulates the whole system. And so I see intervention as not just for the person it's also for family and loved ones to say, we have been carrying this and I want to give it back to you and I want to offer a solution and a suggestion because it's affecting me. I'm not sleeping, I'm not eating, I'm praying all the time, I'm desperate, I'm not, you know, I'm not focusing at work because I'm worried if I'm going to get the call about you. I'm checking my medicine cabinet to see if things are missing. I'm monitoring how many drinks you have at the social event. I'm not sure if you should be driving and so I'm worried about you're with your kids. All that preoccupation, I, I feel like it's just hostage taking. And so an intervention, I see it for the person we're intervening on, but I just as much I see it for everyone in that room because they're all carrying a part of the story. They're all there because they have suffered and loved and felt desperate and woken up in the middle of the night, oh my God, you know, what if I get that call? And it's like, 
It's like bringing everybody in the room and saying, we're going to do, we're going to come together in a compassionate but direct way. We're going to give this information back to this person. And then um, we're also going to share our feelings, right? Because rules in, in pain families are don't talk about it. Don't trust because we're not talking about it. And don't feel because your feelings don't matter anyway. So we're going to break all those rules. We're going to talk about it. We're going to feel about it. Um, and we're going to trust each other to hold this space, this sacred space, to really try to offer somebody help. You know. Um, so in my experience, they always change something. They change the system. I've seen them change relationships in terms of sisters that always felt like their brother got the last word and they were able to come together and say, no, this is, you know, you can't keep doing this or, you know, you're not going to be around, you, you know, your niece and nephew. You've always, you know, taken this role in the family and we're tired of it, you know, and so it changes the dynamic. Um, so, I mean, those are some beautiful, I, I would say, um, collateral healing that intervention unexpectedly brings even though the focus is on this person getting help over there, if that makes sense. So as a family member, you think you're going into it for, for it to them. be about them, but yeah. it's really about all of you. Yes. With interventions, you see it really more as like a last resort kind of a thing. You're getting into what you feel like is an emergency. What can people do before you get to the point of an intervention? How do you recommend having those conversations with your loved ones um, that maybe would even avoid an intervention? It's difficult because a symptom of the disease is denial and minimization. And typically people have been approached. I, I think being honest about what you see and what you feel um, you know, being honest, uh, to share concerns, to be straight up about it. But it, it feels like addiction takes on a life of its own. And the backdrop of that is um, just a myriad of defenses like, it's not my drinking, it's my job that's so stressful, I just need to get a new job. Or you're nagging me, if you didn't nag me so much I wouldn't have to drink or use. So. Um, I think in terms of not, not, not keeping secrets and being honest and talking about, you know, with other people in the family or loved ones that we're concerned about this and, you know, certainly bringing it to the person and um, being direct about it. Sometimes that's enough to get, get somebody motivated to try something, to offering to go to a meeting with them, let's say an AA meeting. Maybe there's a family friend in recovery that can have a conversation about themselves. I mean, those are all ways that I think, again, are bridges that you're trying to, to bridge this person um, to, you know, be willing to get help. Um, I think a lot of people have a view of interventions only from what they've seen on TV and those shows. What's your opinion of those shows? More dramatic in nature. and um, So that's not what most people can expect. No, I think what most people can expect is um, their folks are going to be anxious. I mean, even coming together without somebody knowing you're coming together, 
create some anxiety. Yeah. You know, we're afraid, oh, we're going to upset them. We're talking about them. Um, that, you know, and that stepping into the room, they will be well prepared because they have something that's really important to say. And, um, you know, my job is to pre prepare them well and to ask the person for permission. You know, your family's gathered here. We have some important things to share with you. Are you willing to listen without interrupting? And then we just go. We go through a series of letters. And as, you know, we've rehearsed that and gone through them, people's anxiety kind of comes down. They slow down a bit. Um, you know, at first everybody's really jacked up and fearful. But it's like, you know, we're all here trying, honestly, we're trying to, uh, to intervene on a process that is going very poorly and um, so I think helping people also in the beginning of that process looking at what are all the things you've already tried what are the things you've already done what are the things you've already said to this person to say we're concerned and how have they responded well, we took the car keys, or we didn't, you know, we didn't keep giving them money, or we, you know, modulated all these different things. We confronted them. We did this, we did that. And what was their response? I think that question early on in the process helps people see, I have been reaching out. I have been trying to impact this for a long time and what I keep getting is pushback. What I keep getting is anger. What I keep getting is denial of what's the big deal? Why are you so worried about this? Just get off my back. And I, I think that that assignment early on in the process really helps them come to a place of wait a minute. I've been trying to get through and it's not working. So what else can we do? You know, I think Again, it's, it's also working, helping people see that they're not responsible for this person's struggle or their behavior and that love isn't, isn't enough to get through it. Because I think if love was enough, we wouldn't have addictions, right? right. Most people are loved by somebody, you know, whether it's a child or a parent or a sibling, it's not about love. And I think that, that culturally, that's a difficult thing to really understand. Well, if you love, then you wouldn't be doing this to your children or, you know, it's just addiction is a whole different animal. Most people come into the mental health field because of a personal experience. Are you willing to talk about yours? Or is sure. that not something you want to get into? That's yeah, fine. Um, for you, it started young. You were, how old were you? 24 years old, you said, when you did your first intervention? Yes. Um, I grew up, uh, my father had an issue with alcohol, so I remember being maybe 12 and just noticing that as a problem and noticing um, more arguments late in the evening and things and um, just had a huge heart for him and always wanted to help him and I'm sure it's how I ended up in this field, but uh, so when I was 24, I was home from school and he had fallen down the steps after drinking and he ended up in the hospital and I called a social worker. I said, oh good, there's a social worker here, surely they'll help me do an intervention. And I called them and they said, what's an intervention? I was like, oh boy. So I, you know, I met with my dad in the hospital and 
basically had written him a letter, you know, of my love and my concern, and that, you know, he was worthy of help, and, you know, I wanted him to walk me down the aisle, I wanted him to be present with my kids when I had kids, and um, he was a very humble, humble man, and very um, loved me, and, you know, was ashamed, um, but yeah, yeah, Steph, I'll, you know, I'll go. And so he went, he did, he went to treatment. This was in New York State. Um, and it's interesting, years later, years later I was home. They actually lived in Pennsylvania, but I found uh, in this, this box in the garage, I found um, a bottle of whiskey and this letter I had written to him about his drinking. And um, I was just touched that, you know, they were both part of his life and that my words did matter and that my love mattered, but this was also, you know, had a hold on him, so. You mentioned that your dad was very humble and willing to get help and it just made me curious, now that you've done so many more, what you've seen in different personality types mm -hmm. for people who need the intervention, um, what is most effective. Uh, my sister, for example, was very strong-willed and more manipulative and really smart and um, not so easy to convince to do things. Um, and I wonder how that might have gone <laughs> with someone like her who has more of a strong personality. I think um, certainly that that type of personality is often, I mean, it feels like the personification of the addiction. In charge, in control, in command, don't tell me what to do. You're trying to manipulate me. Um, really tapping into what they recognize isn't going well for them. That sense of if they could change it, what would they change underneath that, but also I think saying to, to folks, I often say to people, you wouldn't you wouldn't want a person to manipulate you. Do you see how this addiction manipulates you? It pulls you in, it draws you in, promising peace, and you don't have to think about what's bothering you, and you don't have to deal with your feelings, and yet it displays you so unfavorably. All these things are happening that they're, they're, they're not what you would be doing if you weren't using. You know, so it draws you in almost like a bad relationship, promises you everything, ropes you in, and then just displays you awfully and then calls you back. And I mean, that type of imagery is really trying to get through that denial that I'm in charge. I mean, the, that sense of addiction is I'm in charge, I call the shots, I know what I'm doing, I know what these drugs do, I know how much to use, and it's that illusion of control. And I think intervention brings examples and specifics that break through you were you really weren't in control. You didn't mean to walk out in your underwear during that family gathering. You didn't mean to not pick up your children from that sports event. You didn't mean to shout out and embarrass your family during that. You didn't want that to happen, and yet it happened. So I think, again, you're, you're bringing um, wide-eyed information to somebody that doesn't really doesn't see it, either. Or doesn't want to see it. Doesn't want to see it, wants to believe that they're managing it, 
you know, it was just a bad night. You know, the cop was just being unreasonable. Everybody drinks like this. You know, that sense of... Um, and, and getting through that is, is really... It's, it's hard. It's hard to get through that level of denial or minimizing. And if you think about it, it's kind of cruel that a symptom of the disease is minimization and denial. It's not like I have a big sore that reminds me, be careful, watch out. You know, it's like fighting with something that you don't see. For someone who would like to do an intervention, how do you, how do you prepare them? What do they need to know that that they need to prepare for this process to work? They need to know, first of all, that their experience is valid, that what they're seeing and what they have felt really has happened, <laughs> and that their concern is valid, um, and that it's okay for them to speak those things with the support of other people and to say out loud things that they have kept silent out of fear of being banished or somebody being mad at them or not talking to them or cutting them off. Um, they, they need to know that their ambivalence about it is absolutely normal. Their anxiety about it's normal. You know, it's not something we do in our regular culture to really be that honest or to be actually that intimate and to share concern or share um, that depth of honesty or, you know, really love. Do you that encourage way. that kind of honesty more frequently in our daily lives? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So when you think that you're protecting someone by being polite? Right. What I end up protecting would be the bottle or the substance. I'm not protecting the person. Do you think that translates into relationships where there is no addiction? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's a cultural kind of that you know, niceness or niceness versus honesty. Because um, honesty sometimes hurts. Or angers people or, you know, and again, it's, it's my experience. You may have a different experience. Um, but culturally, we get stuck in that sense of not being able to share. This is my experience. This is what I was feeling. It may be different than what you were feeling but is it okay to say it? Is it okay to have that out loud in the room between us? You know? how, how do you encourage people to be more honest with each other, families to be more honest with each other without the fear of being reprimanded? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it really goes back to that, to those family of origin dynamics in terms of what we teach and really starting to look at, um, oftentimes I talk to folks about their relationship with themselves. Like, well, I'm, how am I talking to myself? What am I saying to her about her own feelings? Is it okay for her to share them, even with me? Um, or am I, like, stuffing them down or shaming her about them? Or, you know, and I think it, it's looking at how were feelings dealt with in families? what feelings were okay to share, um, how do we foster more just open conversations about what people think and feel and not have it be about this is right or that's wrong or why do you think that way. 
but more of a um, more of an open spirit of letting people have their voice, really. Because I see it even with my daughter at nine years old, not wanting to tell me something that she thinks is going to hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. So how do I foster that with her to let her know that it's okay? Because probably as a product of the society that I grew up in, my reaction sometimes to the mm -hmm. things that she says is to show that my feelings are hurt, which then prompts her to Be not want to share. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, stepping into really creating that safety around it, it's really okay that you share that with me. It's really, I really want to know how you feel about that. It's important to me how you feel about that, and I can hear that. So you felt upset when mom, you know. I can't, maybe she just didn't like the food I made. Or <laughs> yep, right. But you want to foster that it's okay for her to have her, you know, it's not okay for her to be abusive with you about it, but it's okay for her to say, it's not my, so it's not your favorite thing. Nope, it's not. Okay. Thanks for letting me know. You know, it, instead of, what do you mean? Right. I spent the whole day doing <laughs> all this work, and you're just not grateful, and, you know, that kind of shut-up message. Do you think having those kinds of relationships can help prevent some of the problems in the future? that you might see with addictions or other illnesses? I think in working um, with folks, that whole dynamic of it's not okay for me to say what I'm feeling starts really, really young. And really um, helping people be more honest about it's a feeling. It's like a colleague of mine often talks, talks about it in terms of lights on your dashboard like of your car, like your, you know, your gas is low, your temperature is too high, and that your feelings give you information, and they give you information about your needs, they give you information about what boundaries you have, um, and that, you know, they're really valuable. And I think in our culture, lots of times they feel dangerous because we're going to hurt somebody's feelings, and, and I'm really, I think it's opening up um, people's own awareness of what does that feeling tell them you know what does that feeling what's the information instead of it being dangerous is that feeling really trying to tell me um, so yeah so for yourself and for those around you mm -hmm. so instead of feeling offended by someone else's feelings mm -hmm. you should stop and say what information can I get from the fact that they shared this with me yeah, and even they're, if they're sharing something uncomfortable, uh, wow, they're really invested in our relationship that they would do that. They care enough about our relationship for to share something that's important to them, even if it they knew that it, you know it would bother me or upset me. I mean, that's that's really moving towards the relationship instead of just avoiding. And. Um, not something we do very comfortably in our culture, <laughs> but yeah. Thank you for taking time to talk to me about this today. It's interesting. I wanted to talk about interventions and I didn't imagine it would <laughs> turn into a conversation about honesty and how, how we talk to each other, but they seem pretty related. Do you have any um, final thoughts you want to share? 
Um, just that uh, healing is healing and the work of healing is worthy of respect and any kind of work that people do towards their own healing is is always worthy of respect and going into treatment is worthy of respect I mean anybody could benefit from treatment whether or not they had an addiction and what really is still has a life of its own that continues to ripple into their adult life and that that work is not um, not to be ashamed of but really it's an act of courage and it's worthy of respect and that there's lots of different programs um, you know to help people do that work you know that the work is worthy of respect and somebody comes into treatment they're worthy of respect so that's the message you know and um, as well as the whole spiritual component kind of holding that whole that whole piece so that people would get what they need and that's my other big piece that I pursue everyone has always wanted that one wish I wish I could get through this. Trust me, you can. I wish at times suicide didn't seem so appealing, yet here you stand, stronger, weathered. Whether you know it or not, others have experienced this process. Your story needs to be heard. tragedies and hardships and move forward hopefully to make a difference in other people's lives.